chapter number 4, Isaiah chapter number 4, I mentioned to you this morning uh, as we were closing out the service that I'd be speaking this evening on change my circumstances, not me. Um, I played around with several ways to uh, label this, but uh, the heart or the idea is a group of people uh, that ultimately wanted uh, to have God meet their needs and provide protection and change their situation, but weren't really ready or willing to let God change them. And we have to be cautious and careful as God's people, uh, especially when we've been saved for a while, when we've been going to church for a while, we kind of get into our comfort zone. We get into our area where we feel like, hey, things are going pretty good. I feel all right. And God brings something into our life, maybe in a desire to teach us something And instead of us learning what it is that we're supposed to be learning, we're just asking God to take that out of our life, to remove that from us. And so we want to look at that. Look in Isaiah chapter 4, just verse number 1. It's kind of a different verse that we're going to use as a text tonight. But uh, you see Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1. He says, In that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread. And wear our own apparel, only let us be called by thy name, take away our reproach. So the beginning chapters here of Isaiah, God was judging his people. Um, Turn back to Isaiah chapter number one and just see some, and I'm sure you're overall familiar with the general idea of what takes place here, but chapter number one, then the vision of Isaiah, we know that this is who's talking, that he is uh, the prophet underneath uh, these men, King Uzziah and Jehotham and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Verse number two, he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and I've brought up children, and they've rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know my people doth not consider a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger, and they are gone away backward. We see, we, we're not going to read all of these, but turn to uh, chapter number three. Look at chapter number three, the beginning of chapter three. He says here, uh, verses two and three, I believe, um, he says, the mighty men and the men of war, uh, I'm going to read the first verse so that you see what he's saying here. He says, for behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah. So the Lord is going to remove from Jerusalem, from Judah, the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. The mighty man, the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the prudent, the ancient, the captain of 50, the honorable man, the counselor, the cunning artificer, and the eloquent orator. God is saying, hey, listen, I'm going to judge you, and these people are going to be removed from you. Then we get to chapter number four and verse number one, and we're presented with this kind of 
unusual verse, but again, he says, and in that day, that would be in the day of judgment, in the day when they see their current state, will find a group of ladies here. He says, in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man. What he's saying is the day is going to come when the ladies are going to outnumber the men seven to one. Because of God's judgment, he's going to remove from you the men of war, the princes, the orators, the leaders, the, the counselors, all these men that are crafty with their hands, the men of your, because of God's judgment, you're going to remove all these from you. It's going to be so bad that there's going to be seven ladies that are going to say, hey, that's my husband. And six other ladies are going to say, nope, that's my husband. They're going to be calling for one man. They're going to be laying hold on one man. Sometimes in college, you might have that ratio. Uh, you have several options. To, that normally, in, in, a, in a Baptist college, the ladies outnumber the men. It shouldn't be that way. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of times, ladies are more spiritual than men. And uh, they're, they're there, and these, a, lot of, a lot of young men decide they want to go out and, and earn a bunch of money and not really interested in pursuing, uh, you know, whatever God might have for them in that regard. And so there's not, sometimes there's a def deficiency of men in, in a Bible college, uh, and you're in a situation where there are several options. But here he's saying this is going to be seven to one. And these ladies are going to be calling for the one man, you know, the problem with the children of Israel is not just that they had rejected God's authority, but they did so still wanting his protection and his provision. You see, they had looked at the, they, they desired and enjoyed the position of blessing, being God's child, God's chosen people. They, they enjoyed that and they wanted to be recognized as God's chosen people. They wanted God's protection and God's provision, but they didn't want the responsibility of having that position. They didn't want the responsibility of being God's chosen people. How that pictures the church today. Let me call myself a Christian, but let me live however I want. Let me put church on the front of the building. We're going to call it a church, but by and large, what happens inside those doors does anything but represent a church. That is a sad commentary on our society today. We want God to fix our problems. We want him to heal our hurts and meet our needs. We want our circumstances changed and our people problems adjusted. We want our programs changed and our plans changed. But for heaven's sake, don't change me. After all, I'm not the problem. It has to be somebody else. It has to be something else. There has to be something else that's the issue that God needs to deal with. It certainly can't be me. Thomas Kemp said, we desire to have others perfected and yet do not correct our own faults. We would allow others to be corrected and yet we will not be corrected by others. We seldom weigh others in the same balance through which we weigh ourselves. How true is that? We seldom weigh others in the same balance in which we weigh ourselves. We look at others and see their problems and think, man, that would really be easy to fix if you just did this and this and this. And yet we have our own problems we haven't fixed. 
We have our own situations that we haven't dealt with. I think it's funny sometimes, and, and I'll even tell on myself, uh, here I was a young man, didn't even have any kids yet. And a pastor who was interviewing me for a position wanted me to come and serve there. And I was desirous to sound knowledgeable. And, and uh, so I asked him some questions about parenting and what he believed about parenting and, and his philosophy with regards to discipline and such. And then I proceeded to tell him what I felt about discipline. Which in hindsight, <laughs> down the road, I mean, I'm looking back and I'm thinking, that pastor must have thought, this punk kid does not know anything. Like, it would be the worst thing for me to hire this guy. He is an idiot. I mean, uh, that, that conversation in itself has plagued me for all these years. I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, that, I didn't even have any kids. And here I am telling him about how to raise children, you know. <laughs> This is what needs to be done. Bless God, you know. So dumb. We, we, we look at others and we can solve everybody else's problems. But our own, we just don't even see. You know, in our text, we have this situation where these ladies wanted the reproach removed. They said, just let us be called by thy name. Let us take away the reproach. They wanted the blessing of the position, but didn't want the responsibility that came with it. We see, first of all, that they didn't want to change their appetites. They said, we will eat our own bread. We will eat our own bread. They wanted the Lord's name, but had no desire to be interdependent. They had no desire to be dependent upon him. They hungered for the natural things instead of the spiritual things. They wanted to continue to eat their own bread, not to look to him to provide their bread. Now, their lives had problems that the Lord could solve. But they were self-satisfied. They were self-sufficient. They didn't need God to do that. They desired what they could get from God, but wanted to maintain and live their own way. It's amazing but true that a blood-bought, born-again, redeemed child of God can experience the grace of God, daily bask in the goodness of God, live and enjoy the mercies of God, and yet continue in the ways of the world. This is what he's saying. Look, I, I understand and I want to... Uh, enjoy the blessings of God, but I'm not wanting really to meet the responsibilities of being God's child. You know, as I thought about this, I thought, you know, the, the, an illustration would be something like if uh, somebody lived in a home and they started getting really, really sick. And they found that they, were, they went to the hospital and through a lot of tests, they found out that their liver had been poisoned. And that ultimately, through more research, they determined that the water that they'd been drinking in their home was poisoned from the chemical plant that was right down the road. That the entire water table had been poisoned by the chemicals being dumped in the ground by this, this plant down the road. And they've been drinking this water and ultimately it has damaged their insides. And, and so the doctor says, we, we know what we need to do. And they treated them. They gave them medicine. They were able to get the poisons out of their body and restore them to health. And then that guy decides to go back home and keep drinking the water. 
somebody may come by with a fresh, uh, you know, bottled water from somewhere and say, hey, listen, you, you need to drink this bottled water. Don't, don't drink that water. And he's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep drinking this water. God has, in his mercy and love, he's saved our soul. He's, he's repaired and fixed the sin problem that, that lies inside of us and has given us eternal life. But so many Christians say, oh, thank you for the position, Lord. Now I'm going to go back here and drink the water. I'm going to go back and live the way I wanted to live and do what I want to do. My appetites haven't changed. I still have a desire to go and experience the world and the flesh and all of these things. And I don't have a desire to take. And as the Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But I don't have a desire for those things. I have a desire for the appetite is for the world. How sad that they served a God, the children of Israel, they served a God that could make a table in the wilderness. And yet they wanted the leeks and the onions of Egypt. And that's what we have many times for Christians. You know, when you're filled with the junk food, you really don't have much of an appetite for the good food. You hear parents tell kids all the time, you're going to ruin your appetite. Don't eat that junk. On Friday night, the interns were going to go over to Pastor Gus's for dinner. And I had heard that they were going to have crab cakes. I came in the office, and them boys are sitting there eating gummy bears. <laughs> And I said, what are you guys doing? It's like 4 o'clock. They're supposed to be at your house at 5 o'clock for dinner to eat crab cakes. And I'm like, you guys are going to ruin your supper. Zach's like, oh, I'll put them away. You know? <laughs> like, uh, let's close them up. Uh, yeah, they were just sitting here. And I said, I know what it's like to try it. I mean, you're sitting here working. And, and uh, that's why it's better to work outside. Because, you know, you can't snack while you've got a shovel in your hand. You're sitting in the office, man. I'm snacking all the time. It's terrible. But, you know, you ruin what I'm saying. Get back to the illustration is that a lot of times when we're when we're full of junk, we're not very hungry for the good stuff. And the reason maybe we don't have as much of an appetite for spiritual things as we should is because we're full of junk. We're full of the junk of the world. We don't have a hunger for the spiritual things. I mean, we'll sit down and watch a ball game that takes hours. But if church is over an hour, an hour and 10, 15 minutes, we're like, man, it's time to go, isn't it? Like, we're kind of getting running along today, aren't we? You know, we went to a ball game with the interns a few weeks ago, and we got there so early we couldn't even get in the park yet. <laughs> Place was still locked up. And we got in, and we got to sit down, and... and I mean, they're still raking stuff off the field. They're watering the grass and leveling everything, and we're there for an hour and a half watching everybody else do all of this stuff before the, before the game even started. None of that bothered anybody that was there. Nobody had any problem with that. But in church, it's got to be clockwork. We've got to get here, get here, got to get this done. I mean, we got to, okay, we've got to get out so we can do what? So we can consume what we really have an appetite for. Instead of consuming what we have, we, we want the position of being a child of God. We want his provision. We want his protection, but don't really want to change our appetites. But God wants to change our appetites. 
I mean, if you were honest with yourself and seriously ask, am I really hungry for the right things? Do I hunger and thirst after righteousness? Am I hungry for the presence of God in my life? Am I hungry to see the power of God in my life, to see the work of God in my life? Am I hungry to do and fulfill the will of God? Am I hungry for the word of God? You know, there's some foods that I could take or leave. There's some foods I just really don't like. There's some I could take it or leave it. I wonder how many Christians are that way about the word of God. Like, oh, yeah, it's, it's enjoyable when it's served up on a platter for me. And, but, but, but are you really hungering for it? Do you desire to get into the word and just enjoy the time? We want God's salvation, but not really his spirituality. We want him to change our eternal destiny, but don't change who we are. We see first they didn't want to change their appetite, and we see secondly they didn't want to change their apparel. He says, and they, they said, and we wear our own apparel. They wanted to eat, continue to eat their own food. They wanted to continue to wear their own apparel. They didn't, you know, they wanted to continue to be clothed in the same old garments. I suppose this would be fine if their desire really was not to be a bother to the husband. If their desire was to not be any, any part of a burden, they just were very content and said, hey, no problem, we're just, we're, we're just going to wear these old rags, that's fine. Listen, praise God for a content lady. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what, young men, you will rue the day you marry a discontent woman. You marry somebody that can't be made happy, always has to have something else, looking for something else. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, praise God. For a content lady. Very, very important. But the problem was they didn't want to wear what the husband was going to provide. This really is a reference to a lifestyle. It's a reference to changing the way they wanted to live. They were content with their own lifestyle. They were content with their own conduct and behavior. They really didn't want to change. Give me the security of a home and a husband, but I'm going to continue to run around like I'm not married. <coughs> I've told you before about how when I went back to college as a married student, things had to change. <laughs> had to adjust my habits a little bit. I didn't think anything of it the first day I went back to college and got my lunch tray and went through the lunch line and went into the lunchroom where all these people were and I sat down at this table with all these girls. All these girls were friends <laughs> that I had. They were friends. They were, you know, we were all buddies. But uh, right away, that was not comfortable to me. Right away, I said, there's something wrong with this picture. My wife is at home. And I'm sitting at a table with a bunch of girls. So I had to make friends with some guys <laughs> in order to have some guys to sit and eat lunch with. <laughs> yeah, amen is right. You have to change. Your, your behavior is supposed to change when you get married. Some years ago, I was counseling somebody, and this young lady wanted to continue to have all of her boyfriends. She said, they're just friends. I said, but they're boys. She's like, yeah, but they're just friends. And, and obviously her husband had a little 
concerned about how much time she was spending with them. And I, I concurred and tried to help her see that I know they were friends and you guys used to spend a lot of time together, but now you're married, your behavior is supposed to change. They're supposed to, it's supposed to be different. He's supposed to be your friend now. And you no longer have boyfriends. You, you, you can't spend that much time with those guys. You've got to spend time with your husband or find some girls to be friends with. That's just the way it's got to change. And you know what? When we become saved, when we have a relationship with God, our relationship's supposed to change. We're not supposed to be as comfortable out in the world as we once were. We're supposed to be friends with him and friends with people that love and follow him. Our conduct is supposed to change. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Has there been a great change for you? Zechariah 3, verse number 4 says, And he answered and he spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away thy filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. He said, listen, I'm going to take away those, those dirty old rags. I'm going to take away those filthy garments. I'm going to take away those things that you got so nasty with the sin and the filth of this world. And I'm going to clothe you with righteousness. But too many Christians don't want to change their clothes. They don't want to change. They just want to keep wearing what they were wearing. They want to keep doing what they were doing. We know Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that there's some things that we're supposed to put off some garments that we're no longer supposed to wear, garments of worldliness in the flesh, and we're to put on godliness. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says that she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corruptible according to the deceitfulness of lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. How can a Christian be saved and still be satisfied to live the old way. That's not God's plan. That's not God's design. We shouldn't be satisfied to continue to live in the old way. We should allow God to change us. I know tonight I'm preaching to the choir. I'm preaching to people that have been saved for years and years and years, and you've been going to church for years and years and years. But as I cautioned you, just like we began, what, what, what tends to happen is we tend to get comfortable. We tend to find that place where we kind of we, we kind of fit in and we're, we're okay and I'm, I'm all right with my level of spirituality. And so God may bring something into our lives like he did to the children of Israel here. He was judging them. He was bringing punishment into their lives. He's bringing something to try and get their attention. And they, they said, well, no. We see the problem, but we want to deliver it from the problem. We don't want to be changed. And what we need to do is let God change us. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What he's saying is God's trying to do a work in you. God's trying to bring about some change in you. And we want delivered from our circumstance instead of changed. Instead of letting God change us, we want the circumstances changed. 
We often come to Jesus seeking that he would change our circumstances. Many times our prayers are, are by and large a request that some circumstance or situation would be adjusted. But what if we would pray, God, would you change me? You see, the difference, beloved, is what is it you're seeking after? You see, if what you're seeking for is happiness, you're always going to ask God to change the situation. Because ultimately, we just want to be happy. But if what you're really seeking for is holiness, then you're going to look at it and say, God, change me. God, change me. The trying of our faith is the opportunity for God to do something. When God brings a test, when God brings a challenge, when God brings a situation, or I should say God allows. Sometimes it's not something that God did, but God allowed something to come into your life. And we need to look at that and say, God, change me. Help me to see where I need to grow. Help me to see where I need to be drawn closer to you. Help me to see where maybe I've been drifting, but God, would you change me? It's beloved when we seek after that is when we will come to God in all sincerity and say, change me. God, I need to be changed. I need to be made new. You see, they desired the rights of bearing his name, but didn't want the responsibilities of bearing his name. Many today don't mind being called Christian. They're just not real interested in living or acting like a Christian. We need God to change us. We need God to help us. I wonder, do you want God to change you or change your situation? You know, many times God wants to change your situation, but he's waiting until he has the opportunity to change you first. If we could just come to that place where we see we need to be changed and and let God do that, I think I would say, okay, let's change the situation. Let's fix the problem. See, God might want to change your mind. Sometimes we need a changed mind. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He might want to change your heart. Sometimes we need a new heart. As the psalmist cried, Lord, create in me a clean heart, O God. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, A new heart also will I give you, a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh, a new heart. Sometimes God wants to do something that really just is down in our heart and God wants to change our heart. But too many of us fight against that. We resist that and we just want the situation changed. We need to let God and actually seek for God to change us.